Chapter 19 of The Ghost Ship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ghost Ship by John Conrad Hutchison. Chapter 19 The Marquis de Pomrose. A pretty kettle of fish that! exclaimed the skipper, pitching the butt end of his cigar through one of the stern ports as he got up from his seat and began to pace up and down the saloon in his usual quarter deck fashion. You must have been mad, Colonel, to let them come aboard so quietly and in such a manner, too. Stay, you have not heard all, said the other. As the black rascals tumbled over the side, one of them called out something in the French tongue. This, sir, at once disarmed Captain Alphonse, who had prevented me from teaching them good manners, which I otherwise should have done, for I had my six-shooter ready, with the barrels all loaded, being always prepared for any such little unpleasantness by my experiences in Venezuela, where a man often carries his life in his own hands. But Captain Alphonse would not let me fire, though, by heavens, I would have accounted for half a dozen of them, I know, before they had advanced beyond the precincts of the ship. No, no, be quiet, cried he, knocking my arm up to prevent my taking aim at the leader of the gang, whom I had spotted dead in the eye. These are my countrymen. It was no use my talking after that, sir. The sound of the French tongue, which these blacks of Haiti speak with a better accent than the gamins of Paris, gained over Captain Alphonse, while Madame Boisson declared the whole episode truly charming, her fat husband, who was entirely under her thumb, shrugging his shoulders and giving them both encouragement and a welcome. These charming compatriots of theirs, therefore, being allowed to take us by storm without let or hindrance, now advanced aft, when their ringleader, a plausible scoundrel who described himself as the Marquis de Pomrose, or some other similar shoddy title belonging to the Black Peerage of Haiti, to which I did not give heed at the time, beyond in my own mind, thinking it ridiculous, and that it was probably a name made up for the occasion. This man came up to Captain Alphonse with a little smile on his black face, and told a wonderful story which he had calculated would excite our pity while allaying our fears. There had been another revolution at Port-au-Prince, he said, as Captain Alphonse had surmised. A band of patriots, of whom he, the speaker, had the honor to be the chief, had attempted to depose the reigning despot, Salomon, from his post of president, but that that astute gentleman got wind of the conspiracy in time, and as he had a very efficacious mode of quickly dealing with those opposed to him in political matters, the nigger Marquis and his fellow plotters thought it best to seek refuge in flight. Solomon, of course, at once dispatched his myrmidons after them, but having a few hours' start of the pursuers, the runaway revolutionists contrived to clear off from Port-au-Prince, concealing themselves in the mountain fastness at the eastern end of the island. Here, while in hiding, they saw the Saint-Pierre rounding Cape San Angano. Subsequently, observing that she was becalmed, they waited for nightfall when they stole a boat that lay on the shore and pulled out towards our ship, just avoiding capture in the nick of time. 
the regiment of black soldiers Solomon had sent after them, having hit upon their trail, and being so close up behind that they were able to open fire on them ere the boat got into deep water, two of the fugitive patriots being struck by the bullets which came whistling in their rear. The Marquis was of the belief that we were bound for Cuba, so he declared at all events at the moment, and he asked Captain Alphonse with the utmost indifference to give him and his companions a passage thither, assuring him that he would be handsomely rewarded for so doing by some of their friends belonging to the Haitian Revolutionary Party, who had established their headquarters at Havana. In reply to this request, Captain Alphonse declared he was desolated, but that unfortunately the Saint-Pierre was bound for Europe and not to the greater Antilles. But, strange to say, for I was watching him keenly the while, our friend the Marquis did not appear either surprised or dismayed at his uh, supposition as to our destination turning out to be so erroneous, as he would have been, so I thought, had he been speaking the truth in his original narrative and acting in good faith toward us. From that moment, sir, something in my mind seemed to warn me against the black villain, though I had been previously rather prepossessed in his favor by his manner and bearing, in spite of a strong antipathy to Republicans of his complexion. "'Ah, oh, Colonel,' whispered the skipper, "'I suppose it comes from living amongst them too much.' but I see you don't like Negroes. No, you mistake my meaning greatly if you think that, Senor Applegarth. Black, white, or yellow, the color makes no difference to me, providing the individual I may have to deal with be a man in the true sense of the word. In the old days, before our war, I had a good deal to do with niggers, for my father and his father before him owned a large plantation in Louisiana and long before President Lincoln issued his proclamation of emancipation, every hand on our estate was a free man. So, you see, sir, I do not advocate slavery at all events, but between slavery and unbridled liberty there is, Senor Applegarth, a wide margin, and though I do not look upon a nigger in the abstract as either a brute beast or a human chattel, Still, I do not consider him quite fit to govern himself, nor do I regard him in the light of my brother, sir, nor even as my equal in any way. The skipper laughed. <laughs> What's bred in the bone, Colonel? <laughs> you know the rest, said he. Your old experience in the southern states prejudices you against the race. Pardon me, rejoined Colonel Vereker warmly. I don't dislike them at all. On the contrary, I have found some Negroes more faithful than any white man of my acquaintance, being true to the death, and I know that if I came across tomorrow any of my old hands on our Louisiana plantation, whom my father made free, I should be as glad to see them as they would be to meet me. But, sir, at the same time, allowing all this, I cannot admit the Negro to be on an equality with the white races, they are inferior, I am certain, alike in intelligence, disposition, and nature, and I hold him as little qualified for self-government on the European system as a child is fit to be entrusted with a case of razors for playthings. Haiti is an illustration of this, sir. All right, my dear sir, said the skipper good-humouredly. 
glad to see the colonel taken out of himself and forgetting his grief about his little daughter for the moment in the discussion. "'Carry on. We're listening to you.' His enthusiasm, however, did not last long. "'Heavens, Senor Applegarth, and you too, gentlemen,' he went on in a changed tone. "'I have cause to love those Haitian scoundrels well, I tell you.' "'Well, sirs, to proceed with my story,' the terrible end of which I have nearly reached. This dog of a black rascal, the so-called Marquis, seemed quite content, much to my surprise, when Captain Alphonse told him we were not bound for Cuba, but for Liverpool. It was all the same to him, he said, and as they were going the longer voyage, perhaps Captain Alphonse would allow him and his companions to work out their passage by assisting the crew in the navigation of the ship. Captain Alphonse was delighted at this, for we had only half a dozen good seamen on board, the rest of the hands being a lot of half-bred mulattoes and niggers, some of the scourings of South America whom he had picked up at La Guaira, most of whom knew how to handle a cutlass better than a rope. So the proposed addition to the strength of our ship's company was a very acceptable one, particularly as the Marquis pointed out two of his companions as being expert sailors and qualified pilots and navigators. Huh! You kept an eye on those gentry, Colonel, I'll bet you did. Yes, sir. They were the first I spotted when the row began, but I'm anticipating matters. The devil a bit, sir, interposed Gary O'Neill. Let me just change the dressing of your leg, and you can polish off the wrist of the rascals as soon as you please. A thousand thanks, returned the other, shifting his position to allow his leg to be attended to. They did not disclose their purpose, though, or show their hand, as they say at the game of Monte, all at once, for, moved by their voluntary offer to help work the chip, Captain Alphonse promised the Marquis who, when making this offer, had urged a request to that effect, calculating on the captain's generosity to put in and leave the lot at Bermuda, should they make a fair passage up to the parallel of that island. But in the event of their being delayed by foul winds, or the voyage appearing as if it must be a long one, the Haitians must be contented to cross the ocean. The bargain was struck at once this proviso being accepted with alacrity, as it just suited their purpose, and never saw I men work as those Haitians worked in the way of tumbling up at all hours, and pulling and hauling, shaking out reefs and setting fresh sail, the next day or two when the weather was contrary, and we had to tack about a good deal to windward in getting out into the open Atlantic. <laughs> Heavens! How they exerted themselves! so much so that I quite shared Captain Alphonse's admiration for them. But unlike him, I watched them, and I noticed that they and the colored men of our crew, who had been picked up at La Guaira, seemed on a more friendly footing than was altogether warranted by the short time they had been on board. Captain Alphonse and the other passengers, however, would not see this. But, sir... I had an old negro servant on board with me who had followed my fortunes from the States to Venezuela after the war, Louisiana then being no longer a fit place for a white man to live in. Poor old Cato! He was the most faithful soul the Almighty ever put breath into. 
him i acquainted with my suspicions and sent him amongst the blacks to gather what information he could of their design for i was confident sirs they had not boarded us for nothing and were hatching some deep plot with a view very probably of getting possession of our ship in order the better to further the interests of the revolutionary party to which they belonged that was opposed to salomon the president in power whatever their object might be however i distrusted them in every way believing them indeed actuated by other motives than such as might be prompted by their political aspirations my suspicions being confirmed by the looks and bearing of the gang who seemed capable of any atrocity judging them by their villainous faces and generally hang-dog appearance besides which they were continually whispering together amongst themselves and consorting and confabbing with the mulattoes and the other colored men belonging to the crew in addition to that senor applegarth and you too gentlemen i noticed that our friend the marquis though he gave himself great airs on account of the aristocratic blood and descent to which he lay claim pretending to think himself much superior in position to both captain alphonse and myself and regarding poor cato my servant as mere dirt under his feet albeit the faithful negro was of a like colour to himself did not esteem it beneath his high dignity to associate with the scum of the forecastle and bandy ribald obscenities when he believed himself unobserved with his fellow scoundrels ay i watched my gentleman carefully and so too did my poor faithful cato End of chapter nineteen